Are you looking for ways to strengthen your marriage? Would you like to raise children you enjoy being around? Do you long for a peaceful, orderly home that's a blessing to everyone who comes through its doors? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jennifer Flanders, a Bible-believing, homeschooling mother to 12 and host of the Loving Life at Home podcast. Join me as we discover what God's Word has to say about marriage, motherhood, and minding the things that matter most. Hello, friend. Welcome to Episode 32 of Loving Life at Home. Since February is National Time Management Month, I thought today would be a great time to talk about productivity. But first, I want to give a shout out to a listener named Kristen, who left the following review of Loving Life at Home on Apple Podcasts. She writes, I have enjoyed Jennifer's website and emails for years now, and I'm so excited she started a podcast. I've gotten lots of great marriage, parenting, and homeschooling tips over the years and love her book, Love Your Husband, Love Yourself. The book recommendations are fun to read and it always inspires me to see how much she does each week. So first of all, I want to thank Kristen and all my other listeners who've posted online reviews of this podcast. Your written reviews are so much appreciated as they help other people find me so that they can listen too. Second, if you're interested in the book recommendations and other resources that Kristen mentioned, then you need to subscribe to my Flanders Family Freebies newsletter. I'll put a link in the show notes along with a link to my book, Love Your Husband, Love Yourself, which Kristen mentioned in her review. Every Wednesday morning, I send a weekly update to 19,000 subscribers that includes a themed link list of free printables and ideas, plus a peek at what books I'm currently reading and what recipes I'm serving to my family, movies that we're watching, personal goals for the coming week, and a progress report on the goals that I posted the week before. And Kristen's comment about feeling inspired by how much I get done each week is a sentiment I hear frequently from other readers. So today, I'm pulling back the curtain on habits that have helped me be more productive. I hope that you will find them helpful too. The first is say a prayer. God is able to greatly multiply our efforts and effectiveness, just like He did with those loaves and fishes. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to never stop praying. Pray continually or pray without ceasing. And the psalmist prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That's Psalms 90.12. Prayer should really be our starting point. Martin Luther's approach to an unusually busy day was not to skimp on his quiet time with the Lord, but to extend it. He said, I have so much to do that I have to spend the first three hours in prayer. And George Mueller claimed that he could accomplish more in, quote, four hours of work after an hour of prayer than in five hours of work without prayer. Both these men knew that their only hope for accomplishing everything on their agenda was divine empowerment. I don't think in all my life I've ever spent three continuous hours on my knees, but I can testify that my days do go more smoothly and far more gets done by the end of those days when I begin my mornings with Bible study and prayer. So I'll link some resources in the show notes that may help you to make that a daily habit too if it isn't already. My second tip is stop procrastinating. 
James 4.17 tells us, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Have you ever put off doing a task because you dreaded how much work it was going to require? That was my problem with every term paper I ever wrote. My sister would always start her research papers the minute they were assigned and turn them in two or three weeks early. But I would put mine off for as long as I possibly could and usually wouldn't start writing until the day before it was due. I can't tell you the number of all-nighters that I pulled during high school pounding out footnotes and bibliographies on our old manual typewriter. I don't know about you, but the problem for me is that I usually overestimate the time that it will take to do a dreaded task, and I underestimate the amount of work I can accomplish in incremental units. For instance, if you anticipate it will take you all weekend to clean out your messy garage, you may be tempted to wait for a free weekend to tackle the job. But free weekends are few and far between, especially when you have as many children in the family as I do. So the job just keeps getting put off for a date further and further into the future, and the mess in the garage keeps getting bigger and bigger. The secret is to stop putting it off and just get to work, which brings me to my third point, which is start small. Break big tasks down into smaller ones and chip away at them little by little. If you want to write a book, you do so one chapter, one paragraph, one sentence at a time. If you want to paint a portrait, you do it one brushstroke at a time. Even my dream of having a big family has been realized one baby at a time. I know it's possible to have six or seven or eight babies all at once, but it's really rare and seldom occurs naturally. The vast majority of couples add to their family in increments of one or two, which is probably for the best. I often meet mamas who tell me something along the lines of, I don't know how you do it raising 12 children. I only have one and he runs me ragged. That's when I ask a few questions and find out that the child in question is currently two years old. So that mom is multiplying the energy it takes her to keep up with one two-year-old by a factor of 12 and thinking that I must be some sort of Wonder Woman to be able to do it. But what I then try to explain to her is the fact that I don't have 12 two-year-olds and never have. A two-year-old can run anyone ragged, including me, but I had all single births. And by the time my 12th child was born, my oldest was married with kids of his own. And those older kids all put together don't require anywhere near the energy and constant vigilance that some of my two-year-olds needed through that season of life. But now I digress. Let's get back to the messy garage example. My family moved a year and a half ago, and I still have boxes in the garage that need to be unpacked, mainly books and tools and keepsakes that I can't bring myself to part with, but that the house that we're currently living in doesn't really have room for. Plus, our garage is really just a large storage room. We couldn't park a car in it, even if it were empty, because the only doors leading into it are much too narrow to drive a car through. Not only that, but the ceiling is low and the lighting's poor, and it's been hard for me to get motivated to do much of anything out there. But do you know what? I eventually stopped waiting for that long free weekend to tackle the job and started whipping it into order bit by bit. Every time I go into that storage room to put something away, I grab a handful of items to either find new homes for in the house or to add to a donation box that I keep by the door. 
My husband, who loves dropping stuff off at Goodwill, is thrilled with this arrangement, and our garage has really started to shape up, even without a dedicated weekend to work on it. Progress is progress, no matter how slow, and done is better than none. Then, my fourth point is to harness the power of habit. Just as I've made great progress on the garage by establishing a habit of doing a little each time I go into the room, you can use the force of habit to boost your productivity in other areas as well. It works best when you attach something you want to do with something you're already doing. Like, I already brush my teeth, but I want to be more consistent about flossing as well. So I put a jar of flossers beside my bathroom sink to remind me to do one task when I do the other. I have a friend who wanted to establish a habit of reading her Bible every morning, so she attached that activity to eating breakfast, which she was already in the habit of doing. The phrase Bible before breakfast helped her to remember to do one before the other. I used to live by the phrase exercise before email, which got me in the habit of riding my stationary bicycle every morning before I logged on to Outlook Express. I need to reestablish that habit since I haven't used my exercise more than a handful of times since we moved. However, since I love reading but dislike jogging, I've started doing those two activities simultaneously by listening to audiobooks as I trot around the block. I'm really slow, so I can rack up lots of books that way. In fact, our family is scheduled to run a half marathon next weekend, and if I'm strategic about what I listen to during the race, I can probably finish a whole book before I cross the finish line. I haven't trained nearly as rigorously as some of my other family members, so I'll likely end up walking most of the 13.1 miles, which underscores another practice associated with productivity, which is strategic multitasking. I already talked about this habit at length in episode 5, which I'll link in the show notes, so I won't rehash it all here, except to note that it is possible to multitask wisely. Sometimes doing two things at once is smart and efficient. If you have a long daily commute, it makes good sense to listen to audiobooks or language tapes while you're driving. If you're facing a long wait at the doctor's office, by all means, bring along a book to read or some knitting to do or some papers to grade. At other times, however, multitasking is foolish dangerous, or just plain rude. Texting while driving, not smart. Checking stocks in the middle of a church service, don't do it. Perusing Facebook during family dinners, think again. Pocket your phone and connect with the people seated around you at the table instead. Now, another principle that my slow marathon illustrates is the fact that we should rethink perfectionism. Perfectionism is at odds with productivity. In fact, sometimes perfectionism can be downright paralyzing. I'm all for pursuing excellence, but some of our responsibilities warrant less attention to detail than others. Done is better than none. You may have heard it said that any job worth doing is worth doing right, and generally I agree with the heart behind that statement, but I think there are lots of jobs that we have to do that are better off done halfway than not at all. Sure, my bathroom would be cleaner if I scrubbed the grout with a toothbrush and dusted the baseboards and maybe resurfaced the bathtub while I was at it, but who has time for that? Not me. And my family is better off having me quickly wipe down the surfaces with a Clorox wipe and clean the toothpaste spatters off the mirrors and give the commode a 30-second scrub with a toilet brush than to neglect any kind of disinfecting measures until I have time to, quote, do the job right. We need to tend to trivial tasks quickly and efficiently if we want to have time and energy that we need to do our most important work well. In speaking to religious leaders in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, 
what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Have you ever gotten so bogged down in the minutiae that you're missing the big picture? Do you relate more to Martha or to Mary? Do you remember that story? You can read it in Luke 10, 38-42. As they traveled along, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his message, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. If you're anything like me, when you read that story, you feel a little bit torn. Well, yes, of course we should be worshiping at the feet of Jesus, but the meals still have to be cooked, don't they? And guests served and dishes washed. How do we balance it all? The answer is that we need to relax our standards in the less important areas. Just like quickly giving that bathroom the once-over instead of tackling the grout with a toothbrush, you may need to scale back in less important areas to devote more time to the truly vital task. And that normally means prioritizing people over projects. When your child needs to talk or your friend is in crisis or your husband is making a bid for your attention, you may need to lay aside your to-do list. Yes, basic chores will require some measure of your attention. Your family still needs good food in their bellies and clean clothes on their backs, but you need a game plan to fall back on during particularly busy or hectic seasons of life that will attend to those needs with minimal effort from you. Like most women, I have a few favorite recipes that take hours to prepare. But guess what? I also have an arsenal of meals that I can have ready in a matter of minutes. And I keep the ingredients for a couple of those always on hand, gathered in a dish pan on the top shelf of my pantry so they're ready to go if we have a busy day or something more pressing than dinner preparations comes up or a passel of grandkids stop by at mealtime. Which brings up another point. Don't be afraid to enlist the help of others. Many hands make light labor. Mama, if your children are all out playing while you're inside cleaning, then they're missing out on important life skills training and you're missing out on the fun and games that you could all be enjoying together if the chores were shared more evenly. I have a pretty principled listing of age-appropriate children's chores on our family website that I'll link in the show notes. But please understand, I'm not saying that you should banish your children to the kitchen to do all the work while you put up your feet and eat bonbons all day. Although I've heard from a few detractors who suggest the only reason anybody would have as many children as I have is to use them as free slave labor, which is laughable considering how much of the work that demands my attention would not need doing at all if I didn't have these kids to start with. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14.4, where there are no oxen, the manger stays clean. And that statement is mostly true about houses and children as well. But that's another episode for another day. The point I'm trying to make right here is that it's okay to ask for help. Whether you're training your children to clean up after themselves and do basic household tasks, or you're delegating responsibilities or hiring outside help, none of us can do it all. And it's okay to farm out the things that can be done by 
by someone else so that you have more time to devote to those tasks that can only be done by you. Another very practical way to boost your productivity and get stuff done is to turn off the TV. Did you know that the average American watches over three hours of television plus an additional two and three quarter hours of digital video? every day. That's over 42 hours a week, which is equivalent to a full-time job. Now, I'll admit that my husband and I routinely watched that much TV in our first few years of marriage, at least until God redirected us by blowing up our television set from overuse. I kid you not, the thing was pouring out smoke. It was so bad. And we couldn't afford to replace it right away, so we started to read books aloud to one another and to our children for entertainment. Then, by the time we had enough money, money to buy a new TV. We'd gotten so used to doing without it that we opted to never replace it. The effects from that one little decision have been huge and far-reaching. If you fall into that category of watching too much television, I'd encourage you to likewise flip the switch. You can pack a lot of productivity into six hours a day. When you're on your deathbed, I guarantee you won't be lamenting, why, oh, why did I never watch the last season of Survivor? Even if you don't get rid of your TV entirely, I'd encourage you to make it less easily accessible. Unplug it and store it in the closet or in the attic or in the garage when it's not in use. Our family still watches movies using a projector on a blank wall, but it's a big hassle to set it up and move the furniture and take the pictures off the wall to make it happen, so we don't do it that often. Which is also for the best, especially if we want to be able to say with the psalmist, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. A corollary to the principle turn off the TV is work offline. I don't know about you, but I find it terribly distracting when I'm trying to work to receive a constant stream of bells, whistles, dings, and other alerts notifying me about new emails, new texts, tweets, and Facebook messages. I make lots more progress on my writing when I turn off the wireless connection to do it. Likewise, anytime I need to focus on a task at hand with minimal interruptions, like schooling my children, I leave my iPhone on my nightstand and my laptop on the desk, and I let the answering machine back when we had a landline take any of the calls that came through. It's simply a matter of throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and running with perseverance the race marked out for us, as we're told to do in Hebrews 12.1. Other practical tips for getting stuff done is to make a schedule. As they say, failing to plan is planning to fail. Don't make it rigid and inflexible. Your schedule doesn't have to be set in stone. Just draft a bare-bones game plan for your day, a general idea of what you plan to do and when you plan to do it. All but two of my kids have graduated from our homeschool now, but back when I was teaching eight or ten different grade levels simultaneously, I'd take great pains to craft a homeschool schedule that accommodated all the lessons I had to get through every day. Now, I can probably count on one hand the number of days that we actually stuck to that schedule perfectly, but just having an ideal schedule mapped out kept us moving forward and helped us get quickly back on track anytime we had unforeseen interruptions, which was with great frequency. After all, as Proverbs 16.9 tells us, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Which is why I also recommend that you preserve margin. Don't pack your schedule so full that you leave yourself no time to rest and reflect and recharge. Such times of relaxation are vital to our health and well-being, both for yourself and for your kids, which is the whole concept behind Sabbath observation. As Exodus 34.21 commands, six days shall you labor, but on the seventh 
seventh day you shall rest. Even during plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Preserving margin also leaves room for unexpected interruptions and unforeseen emergencies. Now, in addition to margin, you'll also want to review your goals regularly. Sig Ziglar once said, don't count the stuff you do, do the stuff that counts. Make sure that the goals that you're pursuing line up with your core priorities and your values. Remind yourself of these things often and stay focused on what's really important. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, press on towards the goal for the prize of that upper call of God in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 3, 13 through 14 tells us to do. It's also helpful to work fresh. If you're a morning person like I am, then get up early and tackle important tasks then. If you do better in the evening after little ones are in bed and the house is quiet, then be a productive night owl. When your energy starts to sag, take a break or take a nap, go for a jog, grab a cup of tea, or catch 40 winks, then return to work with renewed vitality and clear thinking. You should also make it a habit to eat nourishing meals and exercise regularly. Aerobic exercise increases your energy reserves, so boost your productivity by getting your heart pumping. You'll expend a little effort up front, but you'll build your endurance and ward off fatigue in the long run. It's amazing to me how rather than draining and depleting your energy, regular exercise can dramatically increase it. I first realized this fact the winter my husband and I trained for our first and so far only marathon, whereas I normally feel like hibernating all winter long. That year, I felt like I had energy to burn. I wasn't nearly as tired and fatigued as I normally felt during the cold short days of winter, and it was absolutely exhilarating. If running isn't your jam, try putting on some music. For physical labor, tune into something upbeat and energizing. If you're doing mental work, try something calming and classical. Studies have shown that listening to music in the operating room improves the surgeon's job performance, and the same principle may hold true for you as well. Another practice that has helped me is setting a timer. Whenever I feel overwhelmed by the sheer volume of work that needs to be done, I'll set a timer for 10 or 20 or 30 minutes and delve in with gusto and see just how much I can knock out before the buzzer sounds. I also like to work ahead. If looming deadlines stress you out, pace yourself. Start early and give yourself plenty of time to finish the task without rushing. As I mentioned when talking about term papers, my sister was a master at this. She has successfully used that strategy since grade school and I seldom see her flustered. Or if you're more of a procrastinator, then try to harness your adrenaline. If you work well under pressure, capitalize on that fact. Tack as many extras onto your to-do list as you can think of, then race the clock to see how many you can finish before time is up. I do this whenever I host a party. My must-dos like sending invitations and cleaning house and preparing food are invariably followed by a slew of want-tos like painting the kitchen or updating landscaping or sewing new curtains or refinishing the floors. I never finish everything on the extended list before the guests arrive, but I usually accomplish far more than those few items on my must-need short list. That's because hosting a party combines both of my last two productivity-boosting tips, establish some accountability and set artificial deadlines lines. I've talked about having an accountability partner before when I was giving tips for memorizing scripture in episode 28. I'll I'll link that in the show notes. I make much faster progress on the memory passages when I know I'll have to quote my verses to my good friend on Sunday. Without that accountability, my good intentions of hiding more of God's word in my heart might never have become a reality. And you, friend, also provide some accountability for me and an artificial deadline as well. I know that the world will 
won't come crashing to an end if I don't post a new podcast episode every Monday by 6 a.m. or send out my weekly newsletter every Wednesday morning. But setting those arbitrary deadlines keeps me motivated to work hard and helps me to stay consistent. Likewise, when I share my goals for the week with nearly 20,000 newsletter subscribers, the accountability I feel knowing that I'll have to give a progress report the following week makes me work a lot harder to accomplish those goals than I might have if I had simply jotted them down in my day planner and didn't tell anybody else my plan. I have a few more tips for boosting productivity, and I'll link those in the show notes, but I need to wrap up this episode if I'm going to make that deadline this week, arbitrary and artificial though it may be. In the meantime, I hope you've heard something today that will help you use your time more wisely and efficiently in the service of others and to the glory of God. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have a question you'd like to hear covered on this podcast, message me on Instagram at Flanders underscore family or contact me through my website, lovinglifeathome.com. Before you go, if you've been encouraged by something you've heard on the show, do me a favor and forward the link to a friend or head over to Loving Life at Home on Apple iTunes to subscribe and leave a written review of the show. Your doing so will help others find me so they can listen too. Until next time, I pray the Lord will bless your efforts to build a loving home life centered on Him.